and welcome to the Deep Dive episode on Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com. I'm your host, Justin Wells, and with me are the two X's and O's gurus of Inside Texas. To my left, that's Drew Kelson, former Texas DBU member. To my right is Mr. Ian Boyd of the Boyds of Michigan, which I don't know if he's going to be in Michigan much longer, but right now he's still uh, he's up there in the Ann Arbor area, and so he's uh, he's got some big blue in his veins. Gentlemen, we got a lot to co cover today. There's so much, there's so many interesting little things that have popped up over the last few days. One, we want you to like and subscribe to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. Get us to 7,000. This thing is growing quickly. Get us to that 7,000 mark. Like and subscribe to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. Today, we're going to talk about helmet communication. This is something that I felt like has been needed for years. And it looks like Bill Belichick and his slimy ways in New England are going to justify that at the college level. Uh, we're going to talk about what players, what Texas players can learn from the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it, you know, some of the things that Drew and I or we had talked about pre-production, there, there's some things that you can see what Kansas City does and, and defensive coordinator Steve Spagnola that can apply to what Texas is going to do this year, specifically Ant Hill and Anthony Hill and those guys. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is probably the most popular topic of the day, NCAA football game. The hype trailer came out this morning, and let me tell you guys, it is flooded social media right now for any gamers, any college football nerds, all of us. We're going to talk a little bit about EA Sports and the, and the new NCAA college football game because I feel like that's going to change our lives, at least for me personally. And so, But let's just get right into it, guys. Helmet communication is nearing approval. I mean, goodness gracious, there have been so many advances in, in, in modern technology when it comes to football that I felt like this is such an, uh, uh, this has been way too long. This is something that should have happened years and years ago. Now it looks like it's going to happen. I believe they had some test runs during the bowl games and, and obviously went off successful. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Ian. What is your immediate thoughts and, and, and where is that an advantage, say, for Texas and their quarterbacks and Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning? Well, if you watch college football, bed home on your TV every once in a while you get a view of the sideline and you'll have these guys with these hilarious whiteboards and they have all sorts of weird signals and some of them you can tell are kind of like pop culture references and jokes but they're very elaborate you know sometimes they cover them up like Michigan even before their own scandal would cover them up with like these Michigan flags and those are the signals that tell the players what plays to run because they don't want to have to send a guy running to the sideline and back like in the movies, right? Like in uh, remember the Titans when they're like bringing the guy in, they're like, "Hey, we're gonna run," blah blah blah, and then they were sending back out there. Um, that was middle school play calling, but yeah, yeah, they don't do that no more. They they signal it in with those boards, and then the thing is though, is that the other team will do everything they can to try to get pictures or video of those sideline views, so that they can read all your signals, and then they can have some guy up in the, in the box with binoculars or on the sideline reading your signals and then going to the coach and be like, they're going to run inside dive or, you know, or it's a blitz, you know? Um, and it just, it adds a lot of complexity and difficulty to the game beyond actual football, right? Beyond blocking, throwing, running, tackling. It's all these mental games. Um, Sark has spoken on this topic. Sark badly wants the helmet communications. He's like, all the, time I have, all the time I have to spend changing all these signals, teaching all these players, 
this week, when I put up a picture of Taylor Swift, it means we're going to run this Chiefs concept. Next week, I'm making a reference off of Shake It Off, which means we're running, you know, the Shake Play, whatever, you know, whatever nonsense, right? It's so complex. Drew should probably speak on this. But when they have in-helmet competition, Sark just says, Quinn. And then he says the play as it's written in the playbook. And then Quinn tells his teammates or signals to his teammates. And then you're done. It just simplifies everything. I mean, I don't think people realize how much practice goes into this. I mean, usually you'll have someone on the staff, the coaching staff, that has a different colored shirt on the sideline. You know, you have multiple colored shirts. You have these boards. Uh, but then we used to have a rehearsal back then and there where coaches just stand up there because we would all want to know the hand signals, the plays. But I mean, you, you have to rehearse those things. So it just does – it streamlines the communication – it allows the integrity of the game to just be what it is. Um, you're not thinking about covering yourself or covering your back or tipping off anything. At the end of the day, I just want to see two teams lined up, played, and let the schemes and the players and everything else take care of itself. Uh, so this is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, it sounds like there was enough going on nationally to, um, to, to, to go ahead and move forward this direction. Justify it. To justify it. It usually takes somebody getting caught doing some things and then some other people just trying not to get caught. So uh, here we are. And I uh, can't complain about that at all. That's some good news. Drew, what was the funniest signal y'all had at Texas that is appropriate for like a PG audience? Uh, you know, Coach Tolley, I don't know if you remember Coach uh, Coach Tollison, um, yeah, Coach Tardetan, D-line. Uh, he was our signal guy on the sideline. And so there was a little deal he did. You know, first of all, he used to always do this impression of Elvis at practice, which is Awesome. I mean, he used to always do this Elvis dance. Uh, I can't remember what the call was, but there was one where he would do kind of a, just give us a little shimmy on the sideline, uh, similar to his Elvis dance. Uh, we had a call that, that he would do that for. That, that was probably the, the thing that stood out the most. Uh, a, because it was Coach Tolly doing a little bit of Elvis, but but B, because it just, as an, as an opposing team, you couldn't figure out what that shimmy or what that dance meant. So, um, Big ups to Coach Tolly. He, he, he was awesome for us. A lot of those air raid guys, a lot of those air raid guys would do horns down for like these quarterback draw plays, which maybe because Texas got victimized by quarterback draw for like 20 years. Forever. But, that, that and screens. Yeah. Dana Holgerson that famously did that horns down for the two point conversion uh, in Austin in 2018. You know, I learned something, you know, you know, just getting to know college coaches over the years and, and doing this job. You know, I've learned that, you know, sign stealing is a very prevalent problem in college football. And, and the way it was explained to me was, did you ever see Syracuse and so and so year upset number three Clemson and so and so year? Did you ever wonder how that happened? And then what happens is that an analyst from one staff that was at, say, you know, Clemson two years ago, they may not have changed every signal. Sometimes they're supposed to, but they may not have. And you can run an entire second half using their own signals against them. And then all of a sudden, Syracuse upsets number three Clemson, and people are shocked, and Dabo can't understand it. But it turns to find out, you know, Syracuse might have known all their signals in the second half. I was naive. I, I, I didn't think much of that in, in that regard. I didn't think that was as real. Then we see the Connor Stallion stuff this year with Michigan. It's like, that's a whole other level. And listen, he must have been motivated by Bill Belichick, one of the greatest high, you know, NFL coaches of all time, 
renowned cheater. It, it, year after year, we're, we're hearing more and more. Either it's a deflated football, or it's a it's a guy up in the press on on the roof, you know, snapping uh, clips of, of practice. And then we learned, you know, back in the '90s, Jimmy Johnson actually the NFL had broadcast one of uh, the Buffalo Bills open practices. And Jimmy Johnson decided, well, I'm just going to watch this a little bit. And they started working on a certain play, a shuffle pass, where I believe it was either Thurman Thomas or Kenneth Davis, uh, the former TCU running back, would come to, come across. And Jimmy had told the defensive coordinator, I believe it was Dave Wanstad at the time, we've never seen that. We've watched every snap they took this year. We haven't seen that. We have to be prepared for that. And they were. And they forced a fumble in the Super Bowl, the biggest game of the year. And so – I'm blown away that this thing hasn't – if this has been a thing, why it take, took so long to get to this point? Why are we just now getting this in 2024, Ian? Is it the sign stealing or is it just a culmination of technology catching up? I think a lot of this is uh, – because, you know, the first thing that happens whenever there's a cheating scandal is you get the wave of unbelievable. I can't believe anyone's doing something like this, right? Yeah. I'm shocked shocked right banging trash cans what yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and usually what happens is like one person takes it a little further than it's gone before <laughs> or you know or they're just doing something everybody's doing and they just get caught right yeah um, and then everyone else is like oh that's unbelievable um <laughs> or like well never mind um so the and it's funny you mentioned Davos Winnie, because usually whenever you hear stories about sign stealing impacting games involving Clemson, it's the other way. Like Clemson is just notorious. Like yeah, people were giving too. anonymous quotes to the Athlon previews that were like, "Hey, you notice how uh, the only game Clemson lost here last year was against Pitt, and it's because Pitt was huddling." We all know they steal our signs. <laughs> we don't know how to stop them. But Pitt just didn't use signs. They would just huddle and, you know, send the guy back and forth to the sideline. Um, and then Pitt beats him. And, uh, you know, I, I think Sark has, let's just call it the Clemson connection on his mind with a certain game in October. I think that that game in October would be a lot easier to prepare for if Sark could just uh, radio in his call to Quinn rather than putting it out where, October eyes could see it. Well, Ian, have you seen that thing recently on social media where a lot of the OU linebackers were being kind of catty about Venables and signs and, and things of that sort? Oh, Since Venables, you say. Yes, Brent Venables at Oklahoma. And the linebackers are acting a little coy yeah. about that. And so yeah. that ties into Clemson. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, Justin, when you shared that, I mean that – Listen, at the end of the day, you watch all this film, you spend all this time preparing to play against teams, whether it's your rival or not. If you can find a clue, if you can find a tip, if someone leaves a playbook, you got to do what you got to do, man. At the end of the day, it's it's if you find an edge, you have to win the game. Um, and you don't get those edges. You don't get those gifts all the time. So every game you're watching to see where players align. Uh, sometimes you have an offensive lineman, just one offensive lineman, that tips off something every play, whether it's pass or run. That just tip of knowing if it's going to be pass or run based on the way an offensive lineman sets, that lets your linebackers, your DBs, everybody can prepare for something. Everyone can have an edge, especially with the play play action, RPO game. These this, this, Right now in the game, 
if you can find a tip to give you pass run, an alignment that gives you an edge, everybody's looking for an edge. Does that mean you go deflate footballs? Well, then at that point, it's do you get caught? <laughs> but most of the time, everybody's looking for an edge. And those who take it too far, it's just a matter of if they get caught or not. And that's just part of the game. Um, and plenty of games are won regardless of someone having those edges. So you still got to go out and play and execute. That's that. That's kind of the the, the biggest thing I think with this, and I, I think this is long overdue, uh, especially when you have a, a head coach that used to play quarterback. That's an offensive mind that loves calling plays. He's going to be a big, big proponent of of hey, let's let, let's eliminate some of this stuff. And I know Ian's going to be disappointed because he's already made a shake it off reference. He's already made a Taylor Swift reference. I'm waiting for the Hannah Montana reference so we can shift into the next segment. But maybe he's holding that back. Maybe that's one of his EA Sports NCAA football signals that he likes to use. Uh, I always thought it was funny because Texas had different colored polos. I remember Jordan Trailer, who used to be a, a, an assistant at Texas. He's a scout for the New Orleans Saints now. He always wore this baby blue. And it was one day, one of those guys is your color. Like one of those guys is the guy that's actually calling plays. The other ones are just like a third base coach going through the, going through the, the, the motions. There wasn't a whole lot there. But I think it's fascinating because I think it's long overdue for college athletics. And, and also, I also feel like when there's more money involved, there's more scrutiny. And when you come to that, it's like, okay, you got to have more checks and balances at a lot of these spots. So I think this is going to be big for Texas. I think it's going to be big for, for Quinn Ewers. I felt like Arch, you know, it, you know, he's one of those guys that I, I don't necessarily think would need it in, in that regard, but, you know, just because of how smart he is, but it's always going to be beneficial because you audibles, checks, protections, all those things. And like Drew said, some players give away things. Joe, I mean, uh, Ian, you remember when we had Adam Ulatoski, former, uh, I believe it was left, left tackle, right tackle for Texas, and he said yeah, yeah, that Austin English was giving away stuff at the beginning of that 2009 uh, oh, yeah. Red River shootout and how he said they instantly ch you know, changed it because Austin knew either the snap count, the cadence, he knew something. And they said when they made that one change, it like changed everything. It took English out of the game and, and it was a big benefit. And so I think it's to me, that stuff is fascinating. The backside of, of all that stuff that goes on before, during and after games. So I will say um, you, mentioned, you mentioned money and you mentioned like, why have we not had this earlier? Right. Yeah. I, I think part of it is that for a lot of the bigger schools, they don't necessarily want to take away this dimension. Like you got staffers that are like, you know, this, this part of my job, I don't, I don't want to lose my job. My job is, yeah. to, is to do all this stuff where you have like head coaches maybe that rely on their cheating aptitude. Like think about if, if sign stealing was an enormous part of your operation as a, as a defensive or offensive coach, how much do you have to change if it's gone and if it just goes to helmet signals, right? Yeah. You, and if you're you, like a bigger school with the resources to track that down, then you're like, well, whatever, we can handle the cheating. It sounds like a, sounds like a poor person problem to me, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. You just wonder, I, I'd love to see who is for and who is against helmet communication. Wish we could see like which coaches, you know? Yeah. The, the, that would be fast. Can you imagine Nick Saban trying to talk in to, to Jalen Milrow during Texas, Alabama last year? It couldn't have been good. I tell you, Jalen Milrow was definitely have been opposed to having Nick Saban in his ear. <laughs> With no question. And like you said, it could affect some guy's livelihood. And that reminds me of the movie Moneyball and Billy Bean's famous quote, adapt or die. 
Either you do it or you don't. Um, let's play the Bills real quick. We got a man we, we, we need you to call. He's Andre the Lawyer. If you're injured, he's located in Dallas, Texas. He, this man helps all Longhorns with car wrecks, slip and falls, 18-wheeler incidents, wrongful deaths. Andre is a proud inside Texas reader. Uh, he helps everybody that he possibly can. This is a guy, if you if you get stuck in that situation, give Andre a call, 214-444-8808. Andre, the lawyer located in Dallas, Texas. Give him a buzz, guys. If you need him, he'll be there for you, 214-444-8808. Super Bowl Sunday was a couple days ago, and I, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. A little boring. To start the game, I thought San Francisco left a lot of points on the board. Those, those guys should have been up 17 at halftime, and when they weren't, they just let Kansas City hang around. And then we started texting each other during and after the Super Bowl about different players that stood out, specifically Kansas City's defense and what they were able to do to really fluster Brock Purdy, which I felt like that was the biggest thing in the second half was – I don't think he got off a solid pass. I think everything was off his back foot, essentially. They abandoned the run, even though McCaffrey was going at big clips. And it, and it almost forced them into something they weren't necessarily wanting to do. And then we started thinking, how does that apply to Texas guys? And Drew made a great point. The coverage from the secondary for Kansas City was, was top-notch. And then Nick Bolton playing that inside backer. We can see a lot of what Anthony Hill is going to be able needing to do you know, coming into this next season since he's been moved to Mike Backer. Drew, what are some things that if you're the Texas DB coach the day after the Super Bowl and you got all your guys in the DB room and you got all the pictures on the wall and and, and it's the Hall of Akina and it's all that good stuff and you put prop that up on the television or on the big screen, what are you telling your DBs? Watch this and pay attention to that. Well, I, I know we, we talked about this. You You've seen the shirts that the guys were wearing probably in the last couple of days of clips we've seen the team and it says on the back obsessed and Sark has said he wants his players to be obsessed. You know, how are you spending your time away from the game? He'll, he'll talk to high school players. He's recruiting. It's like, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Are they watching football? Are they hanging out with their friends? Are they playing video games? What are they doing? But if you're an obsessed player, you were watching this game. And just specifically for me, the, the DB play was just, it was competitive. It was incredible. And I know you said the game started off boring. The defensive play in this game was yes. just elite, man. You're um, right. Just the intensity from a defensive side of the ball, the way the guys were dialed in, the way they flew to the ball. Uh, it hurt for me to see uh, Greenlaw with the 49ers oh. have a fluke. Because when you see a guy that just jumps off the screen, he was jumping off the screen. He was all over the place. Great Greenlaw was Critical um, to San Francisco. <laughs> so, so for for the players that are obsessed, the players that were watching that game, um, those are the guys that you you hope they found some inspiration. Because I mean, what Trent McDuffie did as a young player in key moments in coverage when they really needed it was just phenomenal. Uh, when you get tested, you want to respond to the test, and that guy responded, uh, and so that was just incredibly impressive. It just it reminded me of. I think it was 2005 Super Bowl. Um, uh, goodness, the Patriots. The, the, the Patriots played the Eagles, and I remember watching Asante Samuel and, and Willie McGinnis and, and Mike Vrabel, Teddy Bruschi, like that. Like the, those guys balled. You know what I mean? 
Um, Roosevelt Colvin, there, that was a Patriots defense and the Patriots wa- roster that just dominated. Vince Wolfork, Ty Warren. When you, I, I just remember being a freshman and, and watching that Super Bowl, watching the Patriots play. We weren't watching it as fans. Uh, you, you're watching it as guys who want to be the guys playing in the Super Bowl and being the guys playing uh, on those rosters one day. So um, there was a lot of inspired, great technique, great play, and a lot of tape to learn from, uh, especially at the DB on the defensive side of the ball that, that I hope hopefully our guys uh, were dialed into. Ian, Anthony Hill. He's going to be he's moving to Mike this this this, this spring and that's going to be his spot where Jalen Ford is. How does that correlate with what Steve Spagnolia was doing, how he uses Nick Bolton and how he's going to be could, could be utilized in his sophomore year? Well, you know like the NFL style of defense, the probably the superior NFL style of defense is you get guys like Reed and McDuffie that can play man coverage or like pattern tight pattern matching zone in multiple spots on the field. Then you like take, take away all the easy throws and then you get linebackers that can blitz. And you bring like the 49ers team was built around rushing the passer with the front four and the defensive line. And that's, that worked pretty well for them. Tends to work pretty well in college. But if you have the sophistication in the defensive backs and the linebackers to do it with pressure and bring it periodically in a smart way, that's something else. Um, and Texas has, I think, some potential to play it the more sophisticated way this year because they've got their Trent McDuffie in J- Jade Barron. They've got their Justin Reed in Andrew McCuba. And then they have their Nick Bolton or their blitzing linebacker in Anthony Hill. Uh, something I'm watching for this offseason is just Anthony Hill's growth as a blitzer from a linebacker position. Obviously, he did it pretty well when he was on the edge last year. Yeah. But they have yeah. so many good edges. I don't know if he's going to be there as much this year. Maybe, maybe he will. But if he could do it from the linebacker level, and I think he can, yeah. boy, that takes things up another notch. Um, and they could bring him a lot with the defensive backs that they have behind him. Just – Man coverage, and then a blitzing Anthony Hill in the quarterback's face. That's that is really tough on a college quarterback. Except you know, I I know they tried it against Washington and it went about as poorly as you could possibly imagine. But they have guys and they have the potential to build that, and I, I'd like to see if they could. You know, it's funny watching the game. Uh, I was talking to my son. We were watching the Super Bowl and we were talking about the diff- defensive line. They're like, he's like, what's the best position on the field in the Super Bowl? I said, outside of quarterback, obviously, with Mahomes, I said, look at San Francisco's D-line. And we went through them. They're all lottery picks. They were all early first-round draft picks, every single one. Chase Young, obviously, through the trade through Washington. Arc, uh, Armstead. Um, oh, God, there's a couple that I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting. But, like, those guys were – Joey Bosa, um, Solomon Thomas – Kid out of Capel went to Stanford. Like all those guys went early. And so it looked like San Francisco really concentrated on building that interior D line, like an old school defense. And they they got a good secondary, but it's it's hard to top that position group. I mean, you get guys like that, you should be able to get pressure on on Mahomes. You should be able to dominate inside. And I felt like they did for a lot of the part, but they let Kansas City hang around. And then special teams, I felt like ultimately was the was the big hill for San Francisco, just a few little things going wrong. And that's all Kansas city needed. 
because they've got, you know, ultimately, you know, special quarterback, special head coach, special tight end, and they all know their identity. They all know what they're doing. And so, uh, yeah, we, we, we thoroughly enjoyed that. But I, I, you know, I went back to Trent McDuffie, you know, the, the former Washington corner and or safety rather, and, and just read some of his, you know, pre-draft stuff and people talking about he's one of the smartest DBs to come through the combine in 10 or 15 years. We saw that on the field. You've got that guy in that backside and you want that smart safety, that quarterback type. You know, Drew could tell you, you know, Michael Huff was was an incredible DB, but he was kind of quarterback back there. I remember he talked one time, we were talking one time about the A&M game in 2005, the national title year, and that A&M game was close. You got A&M's absolute best shot in Kyle Field. And, and, and Huff talked about he was back at safety in one spot, but he noticed the defense was called, but there was supposed to be a linebacker over in a certain area that wasn't. And so he decided to just fill that hole because he, he knew someone that was going to be an open spot if he didn't. He came down there. They made a play. I believe they were able to get a punt. And I think Cedric Griffin actually, I think they blocked the punt on the next play or two. And, and Cedric Griffin got a score from that, if I remember correctly. It's just so important for those guys to be on the same page. And Drew, with this Texas secondary, with Andrew Makuba, Derek Williams, Michael Taft, Manny Muhammad, Terrence Brooks, I know I'm missing a few guys. Like, how important is it to to see those things and recognize those things in game time? It's it's priceless. Um, when you have all this talent, teams are going to try to beat you with scheme. Uh, you, you know you just can't attack just heads up. And, yes, we're going into a new league and everything else, but this is talent that, that, that travels no, ma- no matter what league you're playing in. So you try to scheme guys up. Um, and, and we're actually going to have, uh, while the Big 12 has challenged us schematically, uh, and I think the idea for us who've been following Big 12 football is that the SEC has not had those coaches, those offensive coaches that that can really challenge your defense schematically. Right. They're coming. Yeah. <laughs> They're coming one by one. They're trickling into the SEC. So uh, you absolutely need uh, DBs that, that are on the same page. They understand all the concepts. And even mid-play, like Huff, if they notice someone's going to be out of position, they can fill in those positions. Uh, I was probably the guy who was out of position <laughs> in, in, in those games. I would never say that to you. As, as a young Maybe linebacker. Maybe behind your back, but never to you. <laughs> but, no, I, hey, I, I'll tell you, I was all over the place. I, actually, what's funny is I remember that, that A&M game. Uh, they did a lot of 12 personnel in that game uh, with Martellus Bennett, um, Even McGee was the quarterback, if you remember, the freshman, the because Reggie McNeil had been injured. And so I think some Texas fans thought, oh, this might be easier than you think. And Stephen McGee, if I remember correctly, took a beating and kept going. I had a new respect for that guy because, I mean, Robert Killebrew at one point took a kill shot. And I thought, that's it. That dude is done. And McGee stood up like it was nothing. I had a new respect for Mr. McGee after that game. Yeah, I was trying to take McGee's head off in an all-star game just a couple summers before that. So I get it. <laughs> that you know his court, you know, his his you know who his favorite receiver in high school was, don't you? Yeah. Jordan. Jordan Shipley. Man, you guys know it. You guys, my boys know it. All right, man. We got we got one other subject to to hit on and, and only because we could talk about this. We could do an entire show on can, this. Can I take one thing, Justin, real quick? Absolutely. Just Lay it on me. Because you, you pointed out a great thing about how the 49ers have all this top D-line talent on the, across their D-line. And it really – but when you have an offensive line 
on a string. And you have a quarterback who is just as responsible for the protections in Patrick Mahomes as everyone else. That's something envy, too. I mean, you know, we've talked about the Kansas City defense, but I'd love to see Quinn's ownership of protections, the offensive line's ownership of protections to where when you have all that talent in one on ones protection. And then another thing, uh, as I was chatting with some guys about this game that took place, they do a lot of chipping out of the backfield. Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, they, they, they'll bring a tight end across to chip. They'll have a running back step up and chip some of these defenders that are coming off the line. Uh, from a pass protection standpoint, they were dialed in. Um, and so just from a from from Quinn and his receivers and this offensive line as they're going into this year, there's some inspiring. It's just some some the, the importance of understanding the schemes and the protections. That opens up everything else for the offense. If you can't protect your quarterback, if you don't have your hot reads together or you don't have your assignments and alignments right on who you're who you're blocking, it just it won't work. So uh, I know the defensive thing is the thing that just stood out to me the most. But I do think there's a lot to learn from from the offensive side of the ball that I hope our guys would dial in because uh, they, they play championship football when it mattered most. But just just have to throw that in there because that that I mean, it was it was incredibly impressive uh, just what the what Kansas city was able to do on the offensive side of things when they really needed it. Someone made a comment, you know, either before or during the Super Bowl or after about how San Francisco constructed the roster. Like ideally you want to do in a franchise in the NFL, Mm -hmm. except they built everything around and then they just plugged in a quarterback. Whereas most franchises, they, they want to get the quarterback first, get your head coach first, get your quarterback first, and then sort of just build around that which is kind of what they did with Mahomes. That's kind of, I think, what Kansas City did. You know, they got their quarterback, they got their head coach a couple years before they drafted Mahomes, and they just sort of built around him. With San Francisco, I mean, someone said, well, that that's the way you build a franchise. And then, you, you know, Kyle Shanahan's such a good play caller, you can just plug in a, a quarterback and it works. And I think that's incorrect because people using Patrick Mahomes as the the, the subject matter of a, of a point, there's not – other Patrick Mahomes's. That's him. That's what he does. If there were that many guys, you would see five or six going in the first 10 picks of the draft. Don't get fooled. Listen, Kansas City got away with not paying a wide receiver a dime in 2023 season. Like they, they got away with that. Why? Because they have Patrick Mahomes. I felt like he is so impactful that and 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 they can make that work. You know, I love Rashish Rice, SMU cat, doing really well. Debo Samuel's obviously a great athlete, had a little bit of a hamstring injury there uh, on the San Francisco side. But, you know, it's funny how people wanted to compare the building of that roster. But ultimately, Patrick Mahomes is an outlier. Like, yeah, you want to build, get the head coach, get the, get the quarterback. But no matter what you're doing on the other side, you're going to have to counter that guy. And he's the standard. He's the one you got to figure out how to beat. And I'm, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this and we'll, we'll move on. You can't let Patrick Mahomes hang around. Kansas City was flustered in the first half. Let's just keep it real. They didn't score a touchdown until there was a muff punt in the red zone. I mean, they were lit. They, they needed a Harrison Butker 57 yard record breaking field goal just to keep pace. To me, San Francisco left so much on the board. And that's why I picked them to win the Super Bowl. I thought they were the better roster and the better team. I just, Patrick Mahomes factor. You picked against Patrick Mahomes? I didn't bet. 
against Patrick Mahomes because there is rules in the house that I have, you know, you know, walk in, we praise, we, we praise Jesus in here. We don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, there's rules in my home, but I just looked at the roster. It, there's, San Francisco should have won that game. I don't care what you say. They, they dominated on defense. It was a master class on defense for both sides. Yeah, but San but Francisco looked great. They just let them hang around. One team on every play offensively had Brock Purdy touch the ball and make decisions. And the other team on every offensive play had Patrick Mahomes touch the ball and make decisions. It really was that clear cut, wasn't it? It's really, it's really hard to overcome that. And you're, I, I, you're, you're pump fake Purdy. You're the one that you, you've I been like a Black Purdy fan since his freshman year. But yeah, you got to have. I mean, I, I don't know if you can win the super. I think you can win the Super Bowl without a great quarterback. But I yes, think the Ravens prove that. Chicago Bears prove that. Yeah. But your not great quarterback needs to be a veteran and an awesome decision maker. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You need the guy that can do the protection stuff like Kelson says. Maybe he can't throw a frozen rope on an impossible throw, but he's got to at least be able to like check the protection, cover the blitz and like get the ball out hot and give a receiver a chance to do something for him, you know? Yeah. And that's what happened in, in the early 2000s when that zone blitz became such a big thing that the Baltimore Ravens and I believe the Tennessee Titans were running. And to an extent, Dungy was running at Tampa Bay, a cover two type, but but a little bit different. You had Trent Dilfer as the quarterback for the Super Bowl champs for the Ravens. He didn't have to make a mistake. And then you had Brad Johnson, the Florida State alum, who was a veteran that didn't have to do much. You know, just kept his team in it and let those defenses have fun. That's back when it felt like in the early 2000s, defenses were, were kind of changing and dictating the NFL. And so it was fascinating. But um, let's go on to the third topic because, guys, I, you know, this is a fun one. NCAA football from EA Sports came out with a game hype trailer. Now, we have seen reports and statements from EA in, in different, in different uh, entities that are talking about, hey, this is coming, this is happening, look for it a summer release. There was some apprehension because, it, you know, there's so many things that they're having to overcome, essentially paying all the guys in a union style, even though it's not a union. They're going to have it now. And for all us guys that grew up playing PlayStation, like to me, this is going to this is going to change a lot of families. You're going to see it. You're going to see some father son bonding. You're going to see some divorces. It's just how it is, because NCAA football is the most fun game. And there's only one guy on this show. That's actually been on the game and he never got a check. And so he he's one of the reasons that we, we get to talk about this. The hype trailer came out today. Ian, Drew, either one of y'all could take it. What was your I know you you guys can be excited. You're probably not as much as me because this I, maybe even more. I don't know. I'm just really fired up about this. I want to know some of the best teams you ever used. And did playing that game actually teach you? some some schemes and some formations about the game of football. Playing that game taught me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Says the veteran football player. We What's funny is I, I love playing that game up until 2005. And then once 2005 came, you I only played with Texas and I never played a version after 2005 just because I just kept playing with Texas. But years leading up to that, and you can't learn anything from running VY 30 times a game. You just, no, you just, you just go in. Uh, but my, my, one of my favorite teams to play with was, I remember years before that was Florida State had, had a running back, Greg Jones, who was just massive. Um, I, I used to like playing with really good running backs. I remember TCU had uh, uh, LaDainian Tomlinson. 
uh, gosh, Ron Dane was at Wisconsin. Any place that had a nice, had a big bruising back, I would play with. So maybe I just, I didn't like reading coverages as much. I, I like I like guys who can get it done on the road. And I would just be patient, run the clock, and, and run you all over. Ian? Uh, you know, I'm going to make a confession. I bought the 2005 one. And the first time I played through the season, like the with Kelson's championship team, we lost to uh, Ohio State. No, no, no. We lost to Oklahoma and Texas A&M. That's, and that's, I, was, that's... I, was, I was not a reset guy. I wouldn't just hit reset. No, no, no. You can't be a reset guy. I should have been, Justin. I should have been. Because I, oh. I had to take those two L's. One of my favorites was I was kind of like Drew. You got, you got tight. You got tight in. You, you didn't come prepared to win those games. Those no. are the two most important games of that season. I could not tackle. I could not tackle tackle Reggie McNeil. And I could not tackle. I couldn't remember. Was it like Paul Thompson or something? For Oklahoma? yes, two thousand six was the Paul Thompson experiment. I think he was on the roster, and he ran. I couldn't tackle him either. They ran, and I was so mad. The most unathletic dual threat quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Good so guy, anyway, but that I was, was like, I didn't expected Paul Thompson to play. That that was supposed to be Bomar's, I think, junior year or senior year, possibly. His, I think that was his first yeah. year. No, but Bomar was 05. Yeah, Joe, uh, Bomar was my year, 04. And Thompson was 06. Because yeah. remember, Bomar got busted for uh, getting cars for big red imports, and Stoops kicked him off the team. And so, and then we got to see Sam Bradford. You know, we, we got to see a little bit of Sam Bradford for the next few years, and, and he was fantastic. For me personally, man, I, I've been playing this game since the early 90s. I remember Ricky Williams was on the cover, I believe it was 99. And, you know, we obviously used Texas, love that. Uh, Richard Walton was your quarterback, and then Major Applewhite. You know, they were the, they were a little bit lower. But my fun, I think the most fun teams I had were the early 2000s Georgia. They had a big quarter, left-handed quarterback named David Green. Well, I think won like 40 games in his career. They had an outside wide receiver named Fred Gibson who could just get open. And then you had David Pollock on the edge on defense where if you just, you know, single, if you got him, you could, you know, rush, rush the passer. The early West Virginia running backs were unreal. Noel Devine, Steve Slayton, like I, I felt like they just churned and Pat White. You could run some old school wing tee and really give people hell, you know, in, in that regard. And then there was always the early 2000 Texas teams because they had all the receivers. And once Chris Sims became like a sophomore or a junior, he could fire it. And the deep post to Roy Williams was money, cash money. Because, man, Sims could chunk it on that game. And so that was that was so much fun. And, and I, I just – I remember learning different things, you know, learning different formations, learning about audibles, learning about what a hot route was, learning about little just little things like that. And that, and I played football growing up, and, and these were these are some things that I didn't know about, and so that that made it more fun. And then you learn about all the other players and teams, and then you competed with your boys. My favorite part of competing in that game was playing other college football players. And my brother at the time played football at the University of Houston in the mid two thousand or mid nineties, and I would go down there to hang out with him. And those guys were good. Those offensive linemen. Let me tell you something. There ain't nothing smarter than an offensive linemen sometimes. And you get playing NCAA with those guys, they do some tricky stuff. You better know your stuff. And so I'm fired up it's coming back. I'm fired up. I, you know, my son, he's seven. He wants a PlayStation. He wants an Xbox. We don't have one. We're not doing that. But I told him when NCAA football comes out, that's when we will get a PlayStation. 
And I kept thinking they might delay it. I kept thinking they might keep pushing it back and save me. Looks like it's happening, guys. Looks like it's happening sometime this summer. I can't be more excited. I think it's going to be fun. Um, it's always good to simulate through that stuff. I remember beating Florida in a national championship. And I think it was probably 02 or 03. At, uh, Chance Mock was my quarterback, and he hit Sloan Thomas on a, on a deep on a deep seam late in the game to beat Florida. Those were those Florida teams that we thought were going to you know win perennial national championships. You know, post Spurrier, they had some great teams. No. Um, and then you know, the, I, I love Justin. You you remember what? these games like they were really played games like on the field like on grass. I was like, obsessed. That, I mean that's that, that's incredible. Now now the element that that I'm looking forward to seeing how they unfold because nil and portal. That 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 part of it. I wonder that's how the they pull mode. that into the game. So if you go into dynasty oh. mode, how will nil be a factor? How will portal be a factor? How much will they? want to dial in, um, I mean, playbooks, because that game was very good at kind of pulling in certain playbooks from certain coaches, too. It wasn't just name, image, and likeness of players. I mean, that, that West Virginia offense, it looked like West Virginia's offense on that game, too. So um, there's, there's a lot of fun that comes into that game. Um, I haven't played it in years. When I say I haven't played it, meaning I haven't even played a PlayStation probably in over 20 years since since almost 20 years since since that game since we stopped playing that game i mean that, that was just the game we played we would play for hours we would play like four on four we wouldn't even play full games we would just pass the stick uh so i actually have the soundtrack of the 2005 um ncaa game that's the one on with uh, me myself and i by, yes uh, I, ha I have that full soundtrack i know every song on that game yeah that's uh <laughs> I'm spacing on the group, but it was me, myself, and I yeah. was the song. God, I can't think of what the group's name was, nope. but once you turned it on, that was the song that popped. I can't remember. I can't. I'm going to send you all the songs, dude. I can't believe I remembered that. And I'll give you one other. Go ahead, Ian. I did. I did learn one trick from playing that game, and I can't remember when I figured this trick out, but I'm pretty sure it was before it became like a big part of Shanahan's strategy. And it was that uh, I was playing my brother-in-law, and I was the Packers. And I like couldn't run the ball, so I got into like thirteen personnel or something. I just said like all tight ends on the field, and then um, I, it was not going very, it was not going very well. But I had Jermichael Finley, so I audibled into a spread formation, and then they would automatically my team would just send Jermichael Finley out wide, and my brother in law he would be matching me with like goal line or some like jumbo set, right? Oh, you and then it, it would. It would have one of his linebackers go and, and cover Jermichael Finley at like X receiver. And then I just have Jermichael Finley run a go route. And I just scored like three or four touchdowns on my brother-in-law. And he was like, what is going on? It just with that formational trick. And that now that's like, that's like a go-to for these, for these offensive coordinators. I don't remember if I saw somebody do something like that and that's how I did it. Or I just came up with it on my own. Well, let's just pretend I'm a genius that invented the, that strategy. <laughs> uh, there's no pretending. There's no pretending at InsideTexas.com. Ian is a genius. He's my genius. Um, I, I will – one more thing, and then we'll wrap it up. You know, these playbooks that they used for a lot of these colleges were eerily similar to what yeah. they actually used. And the way I know that is because in the early 2000s, the University of Houston staff would upload every player name and every because you, you had you had a disc where you could upload every player's name 
and they would simulate their season. Say Houston played the 2001 season. They would go through every single team to see just kind of what a simulation would look like. The playbook was similar. It was crazy that they, the staff could pick up little things on what Hawaii was going to try to do in, in a three set, you know, three wide, four wide type stuff. You know, it was it was unique how they could pick up little things. And those guys would play that and they'd say, hey, we're working. We're working. We're trying to figure out how to beat Tulane week three. We're working because they got this boy over here on the outside, but we got to. And it's funny how they correlated those two things together. You wouldn't think you could do that. I saw it firsthand. And, I, and I'm sure more schools did it. I know Houston did it. I think Rice did a, a version of it. But you, you could do that and you could learn about some of these things, what could potentially happen. So I always found that unbelievably fascinating. But that's just me. Um, gentlemen, this has been a pleasure. I always, I always enjoy the deep dives uh, uh, on Thursdays. This is always a good a, a good. Um, a good chat about anything current, anything we find out in the X's and O's. This isn't about recruiting. This isn't about team, so to speak. We try to dive into the in, inner inner workings of Texas football and, and how things that are current can affect the Texas football program, talking about the helmet communication, talking about the Super Bowl and things that those guys can pick up. And then obviously the EA college football game, which once it happens, you guys aren't going to see me for a while. And so any parting shots, Mr. Kelson or Mr. Boyd? Nope. I, I will say I want, there's a, there's a mode of thought that having a generation of young guys playing these games all the time is why everyone is so critical of NFL coaches and college coaches game management. Cause if you've played EA sports, you've managed the clock and you've managed comebacks and overtime decisions. You have 200, 300 times. And these actual professional coaches have not. And people would notice like, why is what is this coach doing? You have to call a timeout here. Then you have to throw to the sideline. Then you got, and there should be like all these guys at home that legitimately understood better how to navigate the clock in those moments than some of these professional coaches. And that's just kind of a funny quirk to. There might be something to that. And your younger coaches don't tell me Kyle Shanahan didn't play NCAA. Yeah. Don't tell me Mike Tomlin didn't play NCAA. Like there, there, there's some correlation there as well. So. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Please like and subscribe to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. We are getting to 7,000 subs very quickly. We've only been doing this a couple of months, and it's growing at an award-winning rate. Yeah, I said it. We're looking at nominations, guys. That's how big this is getting. Gentlemen, we appreciate everything you do from the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com. We appreciate you. See you soon.